0: Hello, I love, my I love, and welcome back to the Nikki Tastic podcast, where we learn from legendary people, truly brilliant minds, and some exceptional healers on how to create a fantastic life for yourself. I'm Dr. Nikki, and together we are going to explore ancient wisdoms to latest technologies on how to optimize your system and get you feeling lit up every day. Are you ready to live a fantastic life? Let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Barbara Ditlow. She is a certified human design analyst, a coach, and a teacher. She has studied energy and esoteric healing with practitioners from around the world including the infamous Ra. Her expertise includes feng shui, astrology, yoga, intuitive healing, art therapy, and cult interventions. We are going to discuss human design today. I will tell you from personal experience, she blew my mind. Wait till you meet this magnificent woman. She has so much wisdom to share. This is one of my longer episodes because I couldn't stop her from talking. She's brilliant. Here we go. Oh, my loves, I'm so excited to introduce you to Barbara Ditlow. She is so incredibly special. Oh, This is such an honor. Thank you for being here, Barbara. Thank you for the
1: invitation.
0: Mm -hmm. So Barbara, you are a master. Honestly, I had my design read by you and I was floored. My mouth dropped you for an hour straight. You flowed out of you. My personality, like even I couldn't explain. (laughs) And there were a few times where I I know I laughed out loud because you nailed me like, yep, I do that. Yep, I do that too. (laughs) Um, so I wanted to start with explaining to the audience what um, human design is really about and how it can help improve someone's
1: life by knowing what their human design is. Okay. Uh, the key to understanding human design is it's a pathway to self-knowledge. So when you were sharing how, during the reading, you were saying, yes, this is me, and oh my God, this is, oh wow. It, what it does is it acts as a confirmation about what you may know about yourself, but not at a real deep level. Because we live our lives, and it's very difficult because of language, the restriction of language, to find the words that kind of describe idiosyncrasies, predispositions, or even just how we feel about something. And so when I met Ra 20-plus years ago, and he did my chart, I was stunned. Now, I was trained as an astrologer, So I knew my chart, so to speak, my imprint from an astrological Jungian point of view. But when he did my chart, it was stunning because he was able to pinpoint the weaknesses that I was building my behavioral patterns around. And even though I knew it, he was saying, well, you're doing this, but because you're doing this, there's a distortion, so you'll never realize this. So it became... Uh, almost a challenge. He threw the gauntlet down and said, okay, this is very interesting. Your life is very interesting, but it's not you. And then I thought, oh my God, here I created this whole life based on school, college, friends, family associations, either in support of their ideas or in reaction to them. But still, they were the, those conditioning forces where uh, my life was the outcome of those conditioning forces. Mm. And oftentimes people will say, well, no, I'm a, I am don't like my family, I've, I've, I'm doing my own life, but still they're in opposition to what their family stood for. So that dynamic is still continuing, they're not really going deeper into what their purpose is. And the purpose is not necessarily what you think it is, because right now there's an exploding field of coaching, And guiding and even therapy and people often have this grandiose idea of what their purpose is and when I say grandiose it depends on how many people like them on Facebook or how many venues they're in front of people and what happens is they lose the essential nature of what purpose is and purpose is to connect or be an expression of something that has I'm going to say a higher frequency than what the five senses would Express, And it gives you a connection where I would say the Christians would say God, the Hindus would say the Atman, uh, 12-step programs would say the higher power, some people would say presence, Um, Muslims would say Allah. It's the expression of an individuation of that infinite intelligence, and you're expressing it. And most people can be traumatized in life, or they can have... um, medical interventions and drugs and injections which actually concretize the pineal gland and so it does create a distortion in their life because they feel they are the source and when they feel they're the source uh you know it works it works but it's not it's not satisfying for them the buddhist called the hungry ghost there's always something next we have that I would say we have that evidence in psychopathic behaviors and I would say we have many psychopaths ruling the world right now and and I say that because they feel they're the ultimate rulers and they are beholden to no one or no thing. So there are people that I think naturally come into their own through the parental nurturing, caring and love and there's a whole generation of children coming in now that are imprinted with what we call esoteric knowledge. And where they're really, like from 2005 on, there have been some indicators that there'll be a deep connection that they have to, let's say, the source or higher intelligence. So human design gives you a blueprint and pathway to access that connection. And it really is about, I'm going to say it, enlightened selfishness. It's about self-love, but not the self-love that can be uh, always seeking approval or posturing on how philanthropic you are. And we see today now that many of the terms uh, altruism and uh, philanthropy is actually a business model to hide assets from a corporate structure to have tax benefits. And they appear as philanthropic and they're not. So when I say that you become philanthropic to yourself through enlightened selfishness, you really take care of your body, you become very discerning about the people that are in your world, and you make sure that you get the right food, rest, and environment that really brings your unfolding. Because if you don't love yourself, and I'm not saying in a narcissistic way, like, look at me, guys. Um, If you don't know who you are and that love of the higher self, is not embedded within your actions, within your speech, then any other relationship is a distortion. And then, what I find the best is when I'm working with couples, mm-hmm. and one couple comes in and says, "Oh my God, this person is this way, this way," and yet you see that that person has drawn that relationship in. And until they can work that out, it's uh, it's a dilemma for them because they really the biggest challenge is. Uh, is to know who you are and appreciate that and then live your life with self-love.
0: Mm, beautiful. Mm-hmm.
1: Very interesting. I've never heard that purpose is
0: tied to connection, to higher source or, what, as you said, whatever you
1: call it. Mm-hmm.
0: How does the human design then make that
1: connection? Well, the first thing to understand is the mind is not the enemy. But throughout history and spiritual teachings, there's always the hidden understanding that the mind creates the problem and it cannot find the solution. Now, if you look at politics, we see politicians oftentimes or hidden forces in the world create the problem and then they show up as the hero. We'll solve the problem, so follow us. And that's that sort of sliding into totalitarianism. So, human design is about self empowerment and avoiding that desire to have mommy and daddy take care of you or the government take care of you. Now, this is key because only you, once you come into the understanding of who you are, know who you are. So, human design says, look, we have to keep the mind busy and we have to focus the mind in a, another direction. So, there's because it's been conditioned by society and by parents, but the body, the body has an intelligence that bypasses the conditioning. So they're decision-making strategies based on inner authorities that provide a pathway out of the machinations and conditioning of the mind. But the mind is not the enemy, and I want to go back to the mind is not the enemy. Um, you're going to do critical thinking. You're going to look and assess, but ultimately that decision-making point, each person has a different way that they make that decision to bypass what they feel they need to say versus... And this becomes the Faustian deal because the Faustian deal says oftentimes in human design, so very few people can really follow through, is that the Faustian deal is oftentimes you build your life on conditioned responses and initiation based on the world around you. How do I look? This is what I need to do. Or you're paid off. You have a job that gives you health benefits, uh, corporate benefits, and you realize that all of a sudden there's a gun to your head because unless you follow the rules and regulations, you're going to lose all that. And there might be people connected to you. So it becomes very difficult. But eventually, I know my life radically changed with human design and what happened is it became a lot easier, but I had to walk away from a structure that no longer served the essential <clears throat> core of who I was. Most of us know that. And oftentimes we come to a choice point and the this mind the momentum of the mind stream is so powerful that we have ideations of suicide or let me go ...have a drug to just let go of all this mind pressure. Right. And so the mind is cunning. have to be mm-hmm. very careful with it. And so they're different. So human design has these words, which I like, because they're very targeted in the sense authority. So when you are your own authority, it almost becomes uh, revolutionary, rebellious, a little nonconformist, because what? You're not listening to the authorities. You're not listening to the religious or the political or the medical authorities. Who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. And so whether that voice is verbal, who do you think you are, versus it's a memory pattern from your parents or your school or whatever, um, it becomes what we call a deconditioning process. So every moment in your life, if you look at your life, Every moment, one after the another, becomes a process of making decisions. And so you have to unravel the decisions. One, I love body workers. Bless them. And they do the tapping, and they go in there because everything's a frequency, and when you're traumatized or your mind is patterning you to act in a certain way, you've got to take the frequencies out of your body that would default you into that self-destructive action. Now, the other point that I want to make is that some people are not designed for this because they are entrapped in a certain situation and they may not be designed for this in 2021. But three years from now or five years from now, all of a sudden they're at a crisis point and things just break apart whether they wanted to or not. And then they're usually in a crisis they have the opportunity to learn a certain pathway to bring fulfillment to their life. So basically, human design is finding your inner authority. And then, all of us have gifts that we express interacting with others, which we call the outer authority. But the main thing with human design, it does not give you the, I'm going to say the right, it doesn't give you the right to disrespect other people's authorities. In other words, it's not totalitarian in the sense that it's about you. And when you live your life, there's an allowance for other people to live their life. And when you interact, things will happen. But this is not a uh, one-size-fits-all. It's very unique. Yeah. But it doesn't conflict with anyone's religion. Love that. You know, that's one
0: thing that I appreciate about the millennials is that they challenge authority. They don't like what's happening in the environment and they want to make a difference. They want to use their life to make an impact. And Mm -hmm. I I find that there's a movement in the younger generation Mm -hmm. that is really towards challenging authority and challenging Mm -hmm. these systems that have been set up that Mm -hmm. are really degrading our environment, that are not... Uh, even appropriate for the human nature 9 to 5 in fluorescent lighting I mean it's just Mm -hmm. it's not even conducive to how we would function best and so I I appreciate that about the millennials I'd love to venture into the different types of human design Mm -hmm. and so if you could tap on each one of them and and maybe um, what their gifts are and what the things they need to watch out for okay
1: yeah, there there are four types in human design and If you look at the four types in human design, the four types operate within cultures. So each culture has a certain uh, aspiration or conditioning force that affects these types. Because within these four types, there's what I call jealousy. Because one type, when they find out their type, they get, oh my God, I want to be this. Why can't I be this? But once they go deeper into the awareness, they see, oh, okay, this is how I am. It actually is working better, but I have to give up concepts of what I need to be. So the first type, you could say, would be manifester. Manifestors are designed not to be influenced by other people. So manifestors are designed to be more influenced by planetary movements and the star field beyond our solar system. Now, the key in this is that we're in a society that's all about manifesting. Even the spiritual movement, the New Age movement, has usurped that idea of manifest your destiny. Here's the secret, just visualize and manifest it. So so we have many people, if they're not manifestors, they get very distressed because a manifestor has a closed aura. All of these are based on aura types. So it's not a, it's not a psychological idea. It manifests in, ter- in certain psychological patterns, But the manifestor aura is closed and repelling. So basically what happens is a manifestor, and I was raised with four in my family, they have an aura and they're not aware of it. But they're born to feel they have to go do something. You talk to manifestors, they're going to go out there and do something. And their closed aura acts as a plow. It pushes people away. So whenever they go into action and start moving, people literally will feel a subtle pushback, or not so subtle, depending on how sensitive the people are around them. So with manifestors, and I know a lot, that they have to learn how to inform those people closest to them what they're going to do. Not They're not asking permission. Now, children, it's a different situation. But with adults, the manifestor's beauty is that they can initiate a business. They can initiate an action. And they can follow through on it. And the key for the manifestor to inform people. But it's a two-way street. Other people have to inform them what they're doing. So it's informing, communicating, and this way it lowers the resistance in what they do, and they get support from other people. The metaphor would be is you've just put chicken bones out in the garbage can, and you put a, a stone on the garbage can so the raccoon won't get in there. Imagine the raccoon as the um, as the manifestor. The raccoon will push the stone off, go in there and start rummaging in the chicken bones and then people the next morning, they'll be so upset. So manifestors can have that same effect on people. What? You did this? You didn't inform me? You know, and and what happens is their lives become very lonely because they can't establish deep intimate relationships because of this judgment of other people that they they're pushy if I see a woman who's in business who's a manifester, I say, do they call you the bitch? Wow. <laughs> and usually the women say yes. Wow. Because they can appear cold to people. Interesting. Because it's hard for people to get in. Now, manifestors as a result suffer from either depression or anger. Depression if they feel they can't express it. Anger if they can express it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the goal for a manifester is improving their communication, of informing others what they're going to do. And then their life goes well. So their type is in synchronization with our culture. Because they can manifest. Their aura is closed. They're just going to push and go after what they want. And boy, do they do that. Now the next type is the generators. Now the generators are the two types. Same aura, manifesting, and then the regular generator. Now, the key with the generator is their aura is open, enveloping, and pulls everything to the generator. Now, it's very important because uh, I remember when you used to get the yellow pages, and there was an ad, let your fingers do the walking through the yellow pages. Uh, the same thing, let your aura do the work for you. So for generators, the whole idea is you move, you're open, you see who comes to you, when they come to you, or when you turn on the television, or when you go to the computer, or you receive an invitation, your life is constant response. You know, we call it, I call it respondability, not responsibility. Respondability. How able are you to respond with this gut, with this area around the navel, with a mm mm-hmm, or ah uh-uh, or a, mm? How respondable are you? Because that sacral area acts like a filter, like a filter, and what it does is you're going to feel, do I want to engage my energy or not? It's a protective uh, device, so you don't get diluted or become reactive. It's oftentimes people will say, stop being so reactive, but the mind will always be reactive, particularly in these polarizing times. So this is where breath comes in and you respond and you see, eh, not the timing, to engage the energy. And the expression is a denial is not a delay. I mean, a delay is not a denial. It's simply a delay. And so the first step for a generator, and this we call it a generator because it's connected to a generative force and they have stamina and consistent energy to get work done without debilitating the organs within their physical body. Again, human design is about aligning yourself with your type so you remain healthy, your mental acuity, and your overall energy of life is one of constant regeneration rather than getting so heavy and overrun and overburdened. So the other type of generator is the manifesting generator. That's me. Yes, that's <laughs> you. It's a man-gen, we call it a man-gen. Now, I call those people... Is they're like gladiators. Now I use the term gladiators because they're warriors, yeah. because they have energy and they have to manifest. So they're not like manifestors. Manifestors do not have to wait. They just can go out there. I mean, they wait. They wait to inform, mm. but they're not waiting for that gut response. They have a negative aspect. The manifestors, because they don't have sustained energy and they can get exhausted. But the manifesting generators, provided they respond first, what happens then they can initiate. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that I would describe uh, manifesting generators, impatience on steroids. <laughs> impatience on steroids. Yep. <laughs> Whereas the, the generators are not. Yeah. The generators, I call them, they're the, they're the people just humming along, doing their thing, building their life. And the manifesting generators like, wait, I can't do that. I'm already over here. I know where I have to go. I need to skip these steps. So that's the manifesting generator. But they are the people that really have the endurance and the potential to really be strong leaders, to be very strong leaders, because they don't get exhausted as easily. And we're talking about energy, how the life force moves through you. So manifesting generators are usually the dynamic, speakers or coaches because people can feel in their aura this vitality. It's like, whoa, I want what you have. It's so sexy, seductive. Now someone can be introverted and be a manifesting generator, but you can still feel that power Mm. when you because they have an open aura. So you step into their aura and you feel like I gotta get juiced up here. (laughs) I gotta take that energy in because it's so magnetic. So it gives them an advantage to really be dynamic speakers. And we all know that certain people are very charismatic. And some people you say, "Uh, I don't think so. I mean, try another field. (laughs) You're not that. (laughs) So, So the manifesting generators are really powerful, powerful beings. Impatience is the biggest thing because they can skip steps and then get so frustrated. So with a generator, the key is you get frustrated. And you get frustrated you're not going to get rid of frustration. You will always have frustration that comes as a signpost. It's a decision-making point. And when you're frustrated, you're either going to say, okay, I'm quit. Screw this. I'm quitting. I'm walking. And usually that happens because you've had a mental conception of what you want to engage in rather than actually responding and engaging in something through the gut response. Now, the other aspect mm-hmm is that if you have a gut response and you're frustrated but you say, I'm going to get to the next level, I know I can do this, then you've most likely made the decision from that gut response and in that gut said, mm-hmm, let me engage my energy. Because a manifesting generator ideally is looking toward mastery of something. Mm-hmm. And so that energy is there to go out there and do something. So... That's the second type. They're either frustrated or they're satisfied. So it's interesting with generators all of these terms are significant because the what I call the signature, what Ra calls a signature, says something about what their ultimate goal is. Generators can be very successful, financially sound, because they have the energy. Results follow the energy, not an issue, but they can always be dissatisfied the hungry ghost comes in, they're never going to be satisfied. And all of us have been around the malcontents, you know, they're just a professional malcontent. So the key is through the response mechanism, over time, they become really satisfied with their life and their efforts. And there's nothing like a good meal and you feel so satisfied after it, versus you're looking at the dish and saying, Is this it? This is awful. <laughs> you know, it's awful. So that's the second type. So if you're a man, Jen. Yeah. So how do you feel that description described you?
0: Oh, it's brilliant. My definitely my biggest flaw is impatience. When I want something, I want it now, and if it doesn't come right away, I get very disappointed. Mm-hmm.
1: And what do you think then about your actions, or people around you, or
0: situations? I definitely have a magnetism that draws people in, and they want to be in my my aura. They want to absorb my like happy, juicy energy. <laughs> Uh, and I, I I love that. I love that I can provide that. it makes me so happy. Um, and I have a I I do attract things into my life I, I can just I can manifest essentially by just having the desire and letting it go and mm-hmm. things really
1: flow if it's right in in alignment it will flow mm-hmm. in. It's beautiful. I love what you said if you let it go it comes to you and then you manifest. yeah so you're actually describing the process of that flow being the discerning factor yeah. of what you're going to manifest. Yeah, and I love, you taught me about checking
0: in with my gut and seeing the uh-huh or uh-uh, and it's that simple. It is simple. Yeah, and I've noticed ever since our call, the times that I didn't follow my gut, and I got a uh-uh, and I went with it anyway, I regret it. I made the mis- it was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, and... And I remind. It was like a reminder. Okay, check in first before you do anything. Check in. Mm-hmm. Is this, Does are you getting that sense of, uh huh, like it's a, almost a, it's an inner sense of relief. It's spaciousness mm-hmm. versus uh uh-uh, uh feels the constriction like in your stomach. It's almost like a uh.
1: yes yes. <laughs> and that, that's you could almost say that's the energy valve. But if it says, yes, the energy flows through you, you're moving down the river, things are coming to you, everything's good. But if it's that closing valve, it's like, no, not now. The energy's not going to be there for you.
0: Yeah,
1: huge. That was a
0: huge, huge lesson I learned from you.
1: Oh, that's you. gorgeous because that's the essential lesson or technique because it just turns slightly. Oftentimes people think they have to have... So much information, conceptualize things and go into, well, I think it's this, let's test this. And you're going through a deconditioning process where your life slowly begins to turn around. And body workers will say seven years at the cells and all the tension inside of you or the habitual patterns, you know, it needs time for them to change. So I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> I've actually even taught it to my client who was deciding between two buildings to buy.
0: Oh, great. And I was like, okay, let's make the decision one way. You're buying building A. How does it feel? And he kind of got this shrinking. It was very subtle for him. Yes. And then he, he decided on building B, and it was like instant yes, 100% we're going that way. And sure enough, like I checked in with him a couple weeks later, and it was B was the right way, and A fell apart.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Because see, this is the um, the the goal, the larger goal of human design, is as you become more aligned and centered, and you know something works for you, then you naturally share yeah. that with other people. Mm-hmm. And as a manifesting generator, your and the generators. I want to say this: the generators. You could almost say are the people that can really make a difference in the world, because as you begin to build your life and express that self-love through your actions that energy radiates out and other people say wait what's she doing I want I want to be like that and then it's a slow turning of lives and you're not the guru you're the role model hmm. you're someone that people want to emanate so they're no longer jealous they're saying I don't have to look up to you and put you on a pedestal but I can learn from you and be a companion on this journey toward awakening, or self-love, and in that process, friendships and families are, I'm going to use this word, revisited, and they can renew relationships that in the past were pretty problematic and destructive, and there's an ability to come back and look at things and say, oh, that's how they're made to be. Okay, take a deep breath and move forward. Yeah, it
0: really helps. You're absolutely right. I've experienced that
1: with my mom for sure. There's one more, right? There's a projector? There's there's a projector and a reflector. I'm going to go with the reflector right now. Okay. The reflector uh, is very subtle. The reflectors are beautiful, beautiful people because when you're with them, they just reflect you back. And this is why oftentimes when people are reflectors, there's not, when people are with reflectors, There's not usually conflict because there's the reflection of the other person back. Reflectors do not do well one on one because they're just, their aura is resistant and sampling. So you could say it's almost as though they have a bubble around them with little holes. So they're still protecting themselves. They're not designed to be conditioned by other people. But they're sampling. Oh, I like that energy of that man, Jen. Oh, that's intense of the projector. Oh, I can feel that closed aura. So they feel these different things. But their real gift is group. Because in a group, they're designed to pick up the sum total average of the room. So when you go into a party... You're going to be a main actress in that party, Nikki. You're going to go in there. <laughs> I'm the host. <laughs> You're the host. You're going to be going around, and your energy is going to be pushing out there in the room and radiating this beautiful generative energy. Thank you. Now, the, the reflector is just going to be moving in around people, and you can look at that reflector and see how's the party going because they're going to pick up that energy Now, I have a reflector close friend in Melbourne, Australia. They've been in uh, lockdown for 19 months. And when this whole thing started, the, the issue with the reflector is there's a deep knowing of the outcome of something. And I remember when we were having a conversation, the only thing she could do is cry. And I said, what's going on? She said, something awful is happening. I don't know what it is. But she was the canary in the coal mine because this was within you know, the first three weeks of, of the situation that we're in now. And so it was interesting because I've had other reflectors who will all of a sudden leave a party and they'll say, it's, it's, it's I can't be in the energy. So we also, you could say that they evaluate the energy within a room. And so what they have to do is they, they historically have been the shamans within tribes. And the shamans looking around and they're looking for who's different in the group. That's the other thing they do. They look around and they say, who's ready to break through out of the group and individuate? They have that ability too. And so they're the canary in the coal mine, but they're also the shaman. So they're looking for something that's different, something that can surprise them. They can be very disappointed. And the key for the reflector is when they make decisions because the manifestor, you know, depending on if they're emotional or whatever, they're going to inform, that's inform, generators is to respond, evaluators or reflectors are here to wait 28 days of the moon, cycle of the moon, because they're going to be imprinted by a lunar path. So we have the manifestors and reflectors as 50%, let's say, of the four types not 50% in volume because it's only about 9% of the whole population, but they are what we call to be influenced by planetary movements, the moon, whereas the generators and projectors, no, they have a lock with each other. So I'm going to go into projectors because projectors have a difficult role in this life. So projectors, they have a real challenge because they're not to be in the spotlight. And we have a culture where you don't, you, you, how do I say you are not considered vital radiant, charismatic um, as a projector because projectors are not designed to be charismatic they're not designed to be radiant they're designed to be a lighthouse and be above the group they're not really designed to be in the group every single projector that I've talked to in my past 20 years all of them always feel outside of the group now, it's not that there's something psychologically wrong and they've got to go to a therapist and, you know, deal with this. Once they understand that they're just to be a little bit above the group as the guide and wait for people to come to them, then they, they're they going to be fine. They're going to be fine. But the challenge with the projector is they're the only type that's born with an internal need to be recognized. And their golden question is, will anyone recognize me? So what happens is oftentimes they can force recognition. And people are like, get out of here. You know, I don't need you. You're obsequious. You're servile. You know, get just out of here. You know, that can happen with projectors. Because oftentimes they're invasive. Not projectors, but their aura is invasive. So let's talk about the projector aura. It funnels into the other person. It's focused and absorbing. And it acts like a laser light. It goes right into the sternum area of the other person and there begins to be a data feed of that other person that goes back to the projector. Now, this is very delicate information because what happens is the projector is like, oh, I've got the attention. I'm going to tell you all about you. And the person is saying, WTF? (laughs) What is this about? And they feel very uncomfortable and then I love the phrase, the projector now is the queen or the king of unsolicited advice. And so there's a timing for a projector. The challenge with a projector is they are the ones that are most conditioned by other people in society. So they have to go through a deconditioning process, they have to understand that there's timing, and only certain people do they really feel comfortable with. Now there's a mystical relationship between projectors and generators, and that's because when projectors are invited in, they can provide enormous information to the generator. But at the same time, the projector often feels, oh, i got to tell you how much I know about you and about this, and they go on and on. And there's a gradient you know, to what people understand. And part of the projector, because they literally just, I would say they devour the person. They have them for lunch, literally. They just take it all in that there's just so much a person can take in in one place that gets too much information. So when I speak to projectors, I say it's not important for people to know. Uh, they don't care how much you know. Because projectors are like ba 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 um, They really want to know how much you care. And part of that care is being very cautious in how much information you give and understand it's not so much the information, but the recognition of the other person, and what needs to be recognized in that moment. They're not receiving all this information, so the recognition actually for projectors a two-way street. The projector first has to recognize who that person is, and then the other person has to recognize: Do I want that projector in my life to even, you know, give me a, a result of their data feed? So the projector is. Bitterness, and that's usually I can I say is self-contempt. Oh, why can't I be the cheerleader out there, everybody looking at me and turning their heads? Well, you know, it p- appears that that would be exciting, but it's not going to work for you, honey. I mean, go try it. Go try it. And But try this, and you're going to find it flows, and if you give it time, there'll be a deep success that you can experience that you would never anticipate possible for you. So projectors, because they have no consistent energy, their signature is success, success at recognition, success at recognizing someone and having the recognition that they deserve. So that's the projector. So we have the four types, and you string them all together if you're running a business. The manifester initiates the business, the manifesting generator and generator work in that business, and then the projectors set up the systems, and they're looking at how everything flows because they're not to do the work because they don't have that energy. They're going to be systems management or the HR department uh, or the CFO. And then the reflector comes in and evaluates. They're the survey. They're the one who does the oversight. Well, I don't think this is working. Everybody's on (laughs) prosaic.
0: They're not happy.
1: (laughs) So those are how the four types work. Now, the manifesting generator is very good in business, too. you know. And with technology the way it is, a lot of these, what I would call, divisions can get confusing for people. Because projectors now can have their own businesses as guides, as advisors, outside of a corporate structure, because they have the Internet. So they people can recognize them through their advertisement on the Internet. You know, manifesting generators... You know, have that ability to, you know, set up companies. And once the response is there, then they can initiate. Mm -hmm. But the challenge with generators is how much are you being influenced by other people versus that response because your aura is so open and sometimes you can lose focus. So those are the four types. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Amazing. It's so interesting. I mean, you go even much more deeper with each person Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you work with. And so, you get really the tangible behaviors that show up Mm -hmm. that you got to work with, right?
1: Yes. Uh, How did you get into this? I had made a commitment with my best friend, who was a psychologist in New York City. And we'd gone to a forgiveness workshop uh, the evening before. And we made a pact that we would never do another New Age workshop, anything (laughs) like that, ever again in our lives, because I'd been trained as a yoga instructor intuitive healer and astrologer. And I'd taken tons of courses. And I was teaching yoga at the East West Bookstore in New York, I think in 1980. And then all the way until 1999, I was involved in you name it, whatever came out, I was there. And so we made that decision. And the next day we went to a Christmas party at the Open Center in New York City. And I sat next to a guy named Peter Roth. And Peter shows me this chart and said, I can read your genetic system. And I said, oh, great, I'm in. Let's do this. <laughs> so my friend got really upset with me because we had made this pact. We had a ritual about this. No, we're not going to do this. And she said, well, I'll do it. And then we both ha- met with Peter. And then we said, okay. We visited, We went to a workshop Ra had, and then that was it. We went into the analyst program, and it just changed our life and we found it so unusual because it was a synthesis of exoteric and esoteric so we liked the synthetic nature of it and we were constantly stunned by the wisdom and the irony and the the irony and the verbiage that Ra often used to express concepts he was fabulous a manifester closed aura But he was very... I mean, the brilliance had no depth. I mean, it was just amazing to be in his presence and then even online courses because the key that made him a good teacher is, and I've I've said this before to other people, 70% was storytelling. 30% was teaching. And so many of the students would take the teaching and then extrapolate it and begin to codify the body of knowledge which became human design but when I was with Raw, there were no books there were no books yet and so it was oral teaching and then he came out and he did the first, I think the black book or the white book, maybe the black book so that was different you know, the computers weren't there either Wow Can you share exactly who Raw was? Yes, yes Um, Ra was a name given to him through the revelation that he had. So he was a businessman in Canada and born in Montreal. And he had a very good business advertising, born in great wealth. And married, daughter, and then midlife, something happened where he got on a plane and left it all behind. And this is where stories begin to take odd turns. And it's hard to explain why things happened. They just happen. And apparently his daughter had to, and his wife at that time, had to file a missing persons report and that he was dead. No connection. So he goes to Amsterdam and in Amsterdam didn't know where to go and in a kid with a backpack uh, walked up to him and said, Hey, try Ibiza. So he goes down to the party island of Ibiza and then during this process lived off the land and experienced with mind-altering drugs, let's put it that way, uh, and you know anything that would challenge our perception of reality. So many of the experiences that he had were... Stimulated by drugs, I know he was a big user of, of acid, <laughs> ketamine. He, he one story was when he had done amanita muscaria, which is a mushroom. I think in a lot of the Disney cartoons, the red mushroom with the white dots—that's yeah. amanita muscaria.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So, so what happened is there's a beautiful film online called The Encounter, and Robert Krakower had this encounter with a voice. a Rowena, and for seven or eight days, he was engulfed with a frequency that his senses took in as a voice, and he was implanted with a crystal, which now we know that uh, the transhumanistic it's not a movement, it's a dictate by a few people but the transhumanistic movement is dealing with embedding you know, computer chips, crystals you know, to change uh, human as we know it human 1.0 to human 2.0. So, he received all this information over an 8-day period. It took him 25 years to unpack it through teaching. So, you know, he has a whole range of students, uh, you know, from the beginning and some dropped out and because he was so controversial and he was a manifester with anger, a lot of people projected on him a lot of things without understanding his type. Um, <clears throat> my brother was a 51, is a 51 manifester. Do I know that anger? So so the, the beauty of Ra's teachings is that as he unpacked this over time, toward the end, there was an integration process when he began to talk about variables, and he really began to make a distinction, really subtle distinctions in readings, which were not there you know, 20 years before. So <clears throat> I remember I had the good fortune of having a reading with him about a week before he passed, and it was amazing the subtle differences. It's as though he was learning what happened. It was almost as though he was learning this knowledge and integrating it every year that he gave more information. So it was a really um, it was a journey to just watch how the teaching changed. You know, he started out with a cross of life and then he ends up with the four transformations it was it was uh, an amazing evolutionary process to watch so in the end of the encounter after eight days that's when he took the name of Ra and Ra is the sun god and in human design the central programming uh, of the source of the programming is the sun Mm -hmm. the sun acts as a information generator and travels via neutrino feeds to all of us and imprints us in this information field
0: Wow. And so you studied with him? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've also worked with cult
1: interventions.
0: Yes. Can you share a little bit, maybe an interesting story there?
1: Yeah. I had been in a cult for several years. I didn't know it. But there was a point where there was a action that the leader took. And it took me, I mean it was profound, uh, because I was working in a company and they had huge theft. Now, this is how I got into the cult. There was theft going on in this multimillion-dollar company. And so I had gone to this woman because she was supposedly good at this. So I gave her the name of all the people in the company. She picked out three people and said, you cannot fire these people. They are doing it. I want you to do this process, which we did. At the same time, the head of the company hired a private detective circuit service. It took him six months for the three people. But what happened is we went through and did exactly what she said. The people, after about four months left, because the controls were put in place where they couldn't steal. Uh, And then ten years later, those same three people in the headlines had burned down the house of one of their bosses because they were... Found out. Wow. So it was interesting. She had an a, a incredible ability to know. So she was teaching classes. So I ended up in this, and then it followed a pattern which I wasn't aware of. And the pattern is to say you're wonderful and then create a relationship and then create trauma. Create trauma to the point that you begin to feel, help me with the trauma. Help me, help me figure out what this trauma is and find solutions. This is one of the things that cult leaders do. And so it ended up that I was able to get out of the cult and then was trained with Herb Rosedale in New York City and the American Family Foundation of what cults are. So I am someone who sees patterns, particularly cult patterns. And usually what happens is people get someone that they trust, as I did, because there was an outcome that was good. And then you assume every outcome from that person is good. And there's a slow surrender of the power. Oh, just do this and then everything will be fine. Then everything's slightly fine, but there's still something else that you have to do. And so what happened is when I would do these interventions, it was very sad because the recidivism rate, you know, people going back into the cult, I would say is about 90%. Because people, if they're not self-empowered with their own inner authority, they're looking for an intercessor, whether it's a priest whether it's a pastor. Now, pastor's not so much, but let's say priest or someone who has the name of I'm the final answer. Or it could be a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist. Uh, and ultimately, everybody deserves to feel that they can make their own decisions. Guidance is one thing, but hijacking, taking over that becomes the totalitarian state of a cult. And if you look at Jim Jones, that was slow descent into hell. And we also look at Jim Jones and look who he was affiliated, and it looks, you know, it's pretty good. A pretty good example. But you can see on a larger scale, I, the Ra, Ra called, let's talk about cult interventions, Ra called humans, killer monkeys, you strip the veneer away from civilization and we're killers. And for people not to recognize in their own hearts that they have that in them that and certain drugs can really accentuate that. The ability to be truly compassionate and aware of the delicate nature of the human psyche that that delicate nature is something you have to be very, very aware of because people can turn on a dime. And when I was in these intervention sequences you know sometimes there would be a real bad thing going on energetically with the, the people in the cult just you know fighting against the family or people leaving or whatever and you have to establish that connection with the person of that they respect you that you're not going to tell them anything you're trying to pull out of them the pain or the reason why they joined that cult and then there has to be an empowering aspect within that session, or otherwise they're going to go back. It's like the wife beater, the husband beater, you know, the child beater, because we deflect our pain onto other people. And so the cults become very abusive. And oftentimes I find that the people that are most susceptible to cults are actually the most intellectually astute people. Interesting. And the reason being is they live in a reality of their mind. They're not following their gut, they're, they're not physical, they're not like laborers. Everything's in their mind, so if someone can weave a concept that they find very good, and they invert the truth, and they begin to make excuses, you know, with certain movements do that. Now, what's going to happen this week? Oh, no, we're going to push it to that week. Oh, we just want just three weeks for this. No, in two years we have other stuff happening. So it was very powerful because I could see the trigger points. And I could see how important it is for people to wake up and not give the, the expressions "give your power away." But oftentimes, you know, there are true gurus, there are true gurus, there are true spiritual teachers, um, but there are also those that are demonically possessed, and that is mm-hmm. real. I had a
0: breathwork session last night that was brilliant, and it—I tapped into my body and I asked, "Where is the fear?" I I got the intuitive hit that there's there's fear still in my body. And so I asked, where is it? And it was right around my solar plexus. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I was like, okay, what's this fear about? And then the next hit was that I gave my power away to my mother because she was a bully Mm -hmm. as a child. Mm -hmm. And she likes to get her way (laughs) and she'll do whatever she has to do to get her way. And She's a loving, incredible mother. So, mm-hmm. But just this is her one of her techniques in life of, of taking care of herself and getting her mm-hmm. needs met. Yes. But I gave my power away. And I actually had this visual of pulling all that power back in. But I wanted to ask if there are other ways or
1: how do you pull your power back
0: and mm-hmm. get
1: reconnected? Mm-hmm. It's a gradual process. It is not instantaneous unless you have a revelation let's say, Ra's experience or Eckhart Tolle, um, because each of us have unique paths of unfolding and the wisdom that's associated with the paths of unfolding. So in terms of the fear, it's to, first of all, there's the understanding that there's a beauty of your mother, that she cared, she nurtured you, and she probably has the line of the bully. So part of your lesson or your awareness was what bullying does to people. How oftentimes governments bully their constituents, where they say, We're governing you, but look at a totalitarian system. They bully the people. Right. There's no choice. So you've got the frequency to know what happens in that. How did it feel in your body when you recognized it came from your mother? That thought, it came from your mother. What was the next thought that came? <coughs> it was
0: that it was a choice and i could choose differently i could choose to keep or pull my power back essentially mm-hmm. i didn't
1: have to give it okay so the way you do it is forgiveness mm. you have to see your mother as helpless and incompetent to be anything other than who she was okay. and when that happens something strange happens that you make different choices because you realize you don't have to change her. You don't have to say, I wish you were someone different. She screwed up this or whatever. This is the dialogue that many people have. And they become they become weakened by those thoughts that linger there. And so I know with my mother, after she passed, I found a letter that she had written. I had wanted to be um, a foreign exchange student. And I had worked for five years. You know, I was class president. I did a lot of things. And then I couldn't figure out why I didn't wasn't accepted because everything was in place. And then afterwards, I went in a horrific depression for about three or four years. Okay. Retrospect, it was fabulous <laughs> because I know depression and there were no drugs then, and I'm glad I didn't take drugs. But what I found was a letter where she wrote saying, basically, I was not the candidate to go. That... That I was temperamental, and yes, I was temperamental to her, but not to anybody else. But she was basically probably afraid of me going, but she wrote that letter that was totally... Now, at that time, I could have said, oh, what a bitch. You know how (laughs) girls talk to their mothers. (laughs) I can't believe this. Oh, I've been so wronged. And I said, why am I finding this letter 40 years later? Wow in a box that I was going to throw out but I just had the feeling open up. I thought it was an opportunity for forgiveness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to forgive myself, to forgive her and say their forces is working, I don't know. So as soon as I was able to forgive that, I looked at my mother very differently. You know, she, there were there were strong aspects, weak aspects and it just changed things. And if you look at Jesus's teachings, for example, before he did any healing, He instructed the people they had to forgive. They had to forgive people who have wronged them. They had to forgive themselves. And so I would say forgiveness is the key. It's interesting that you said that because when I made a commitment to no more workshops, I had just finished a forgiveness workshop. (laughs) So so that's what I would say. It's very powerful. And human design helped me look back at all my family charts, my ex-husband's charts, and I realized, oh my God, there was a story. These people were really acting out who they were. And I just want to throw something in here because I have a friend who's in her late 70s and she has a daughter in the 40s. And she calls up and she says, I can't believe my daughter's such a bitch. She's a prima donna, she's this general, and she's this. And I said, Are you just reading all the bullet points from her, from her Gates? You know, because Gate 34, you know, I knew exactly what she was saying. I said, is she really imprinted with all of that? And she said, yes. And I said, oh. And the mother said, it's who she is. I'm dealing with it. It's who she is. So it can go both ways too, but so much of the imprinting. So I would, it's a long way to, to go, but I wanted to enhance that. I would say, first of all, good boundaries around your mother if she's still alive, and understand she's always going to be that way and by not on your part i'm going to use this word surrender to what is and you cannot change it and accept as it is but keep your distance mm,
0: yeah yeah i hear you yeah but I've that's done that. yeah good you know i also the the message i came up with after is that it was all in service oh. and and it's made me stronger mm mm-hmm. I, I couldn't be a, a good coach to a diabetic, for example, without having diabetes. I, I couldn't, I couldn't yes. help people release stored trauma without being a third-generation descendant of a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. And I made a decision last night that it
1: ends with me, mm-hmm. and that pain won't continue. Mm-hmm. And but that's very strong because right now we see that need to release that because life doesn't, doesn't work then. To carry that pain. Yeah,
0: yeah. Ah, oh, such a blessing. Yeah. Is there? Are there any final thoughts on living a fantastic life? Trust
1: yourself that you know. Yes. Trust yourself that you know, and seek out people that can be good guides, friends, support, and let go of those people that hijack you and feel you have to be something other than who you are. That's what I would say.
0: Mm, So beautiful. And I would say, make sure you book a call with Barbara (laughs) right now, today. The link will be in the content in the show notes. You are such a blessing. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us. Oh my goodness, what a treat.
1: Thank you, Nikki. I so appreciate this time with you.
0: (laughs) Thanks for tuning in, my loves. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe down below right now so that you get notified of the next episode. You can also leave me a quick review that would help my rating so much. And you can join me on Instagram where I share a lot of health tips on raising your physical well-being at Dr. Nikki underscore talks health. All of this information will be in the show notes, but just know that I am here for you. I want to hear from you. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. Sending you so much love. Big hugs.